This is a special episode of the Immunology Podcast, Immunology 2023, Day 1. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Jason Goldsmith and Dr. Brenda Rout. Welcome back to the Immunology Podcast, where we have conversations with immunologists. As you all know, today launched the start of the Immunology 2023 conference, an annual meeting of the American Association of Immunologists here in Washington, D.C., and Brenda, myself, and the Immunology Podcast team are all attending. Drop by the Immunology Podcast booth and exhibit hall to play some games, win a prize, and find out how you could be featured on an episode of the podcast. Today and every day throughout the meeting, we'll be releasing special episodes discussing our favorite sessions of the previous day. So if you weren't able to attend, we've got you covered. We're going to kick off things in just a moment. Before we get to that... Are you studying natural killer cells? If so, make sure to join us at Stem Cell Technologies Workshop presented at Immunology 2023. During this workshop, Dr. Amanda Durkin and Peter Morin will be covering tools to optimize your natural killer cell research and presenting on cutting-edge NK cell isolation and expansion products to help stay ahead in this rapidly evolving field. The workshop will take place on Saturday, May 13th at 11.15 a.m. in the Exhibitor Hall Workshop Room one, for more information on Stem Cell Technologies Workshop and other activities, make sure to visit Stem Cell Technologies booth at number 4011 or learn more at stemcell.com forward slash AAI. And at the AAI meeting, we are, Jason. Are you excited? I am. And we got a little bit of taste today. We had one yeah. session from two to four. Everyone settling in. You know, mm -hmm. the hotel check-in lines are long. Mm -hmm. The coffee lines are moderate. Mm -hmm. I think everyone's gearing up for a great conference. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of familiar faces around, very exciting. The place is huge and there's so many talks. It was so hard to choose which session to attend. I have to be honest. Ah, well, so I, I just go with my phenotype because I think it's easier. And I went to the metabolic and microbiota effects on autoimmunity. What'd you end up at? Well, I went to the, well, you know, uh, one of the sessions on B cells and helper T cells. So it's like B cells, but not, they're not alone. The T cells are always there. Well, we've established that you're a B cell, right? <laughs> I am. I am. So I guess, I guess, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a kin situation. So yeah, this B cell and T helper cell responses during viral infections. That was the, the session. And very interesting. Uh, get, let me give you some highlights of the of the talks. There were, I think it was uh, eight talks. First, I really like there was a uh, first talk by Chris Riley, uh, Risley from the Francis uh, Lund lab. So we had her on the show. So it was a, a trainee from her lab. And it was talking about uh, multipotent memory T cells. And so, you know, on, on cue with uh, the Lund lab uh, research. And I thought it was very interesting because we were looking at the, fa the, the role of uh, TBED on the development of memory cells and how the expression of TBED allows or re relates with the uh, ability of memory T cells to reactivate into effector B cells upon like a secondary um, stimulation. Very interesting. Basically, they show that TBED marks this uh, particular uh, subset of memory B cells that have uh, that are quicker to become effectors uh, memory B cells, and it's required. So the expression of TBED is required for this rapid differentiation, and then not only that, but it also seems to improve the maintenance of memory B cell populations in general. Uh, so very cool, very cool uh, presentation by Chris uh, Risley. And then we had also Arian Shippers from the Victoria Lab. And also a very cool, um, in this case, they 
were looking into antigenic imprinting. And I think this is so relevant because um, they're from Rockefeller University, by the way. So they were looking at the effect of an initial antigenic um, exposure um, into a secondary. So how, if you have already one exposure, one vaccination, for example, how does this affect de novo, like new uh B cell clones developing on a secondary exposure, and then if you have a third exposure, then what is where 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 is this memory B cells coming from? The first or the second line? And I think they made a really good case showing that um, that the the first response dominates over the second response if you have you know, the same the same uh, antigen. And for and I wanted to just highlight the model that they used this this mouse model in which they had. Um, a fate was a fate mapping mouse model in which she had f a flag tag attached to I think it was the IgK IgKappa uh, um, chain, and then they could use a Cree inducible system with tamoxifen to then change this initial um, flag tag into a strep tag. And therefore, they could differentiate antibodies that were generated throughout from the first response. And then if they had a... So they, they infected the mice, they allowed memory to generate, they gave tenoxifen, and then they infected the mice again. And so then you have, after the second infection uh, resided, then you had uh, two, two uh, memory populations that you could differentiate by either strep tag or flag tag. And you knew that this flag tag came from the second exposure and the uh, strep tag from the first. I thought it was very cool. Basically, uh, they, they look into this um, idea of the original, anti uh, original antigen sin, or an yeah, I think antigenic sin, showing that the primary response really dominates. Uh, there were a couple of, uh, was another uh, talk also on that um, from... Danushri Dangi uh, from the Peñalosa Lab at Northwestern University. And again, they also are looking to pre-existing immunity and how it modulates uh, further responses in the case of mRNA vaccines. And again, they see that um, in, this, in their case, they kind of conclude that by having a pre-existing response you, and a pre-existing uh, antibodies, that you limiting, because if you have a second infection, then because it gets cleared so quickly, you limit antigen expression, and that impairs B cell responses following an mRNA vaccination. Um, and this that this seems to be, this acceleration of, of, of antigenic clearance is dependent on humoral, uh, so of course, humoral immunity, and for, through FC-dependent mechanisms, they, they, they did some ex experiments in which they had a, the FAB, uh, part and the FC and the um, FC part separate. Uh, so a lot of like how subsequent responses are affected by previous ones, I think is very interesting. It will help us understand better vaccination. Um, and I don't know, do you want to talk about one talk, some talks from your, from your session? Sure, I can jump in here. So this had a mix. It's autoimmunity, but then metabolic and microbiota effects on it. So Okay. So I'll start with the metabolic and then you can jump back in. So a bunch of talks trying to break this off. And one talk was about um, MIR, microRNA 21 and B cell autoreactivity. It was from Kristen Bricker. I could not get all the PI's names in here. We had like yeah. 15 talks in the two hour session. <laughs> it's just eight. Come on. And more for mine. 
Really? Yeah. And it was so like they, ten minute talks. They had they had less than ten minutes. And, oh, really? And they barely ten, and they went crazy, and I couldn't give. They they passed this the. Uh, title slide faster than I could record everything and that's not in the app so I have the author's names and the abstract names but I couldn't get everything some furious typing here all right so they have a TLR7 duplication autoimmune spontaneous mouse model and they show that this loss of this um, mRNA 21 has leads to reduced germinal center responses and reduced CBRAL expression with less cytokines and so they show that this is indeed a CBRAL dependent system so long story short, in the first paper, TLR7 uh, dominated autoimmunity, which exists in people as well, is driven in part through MIR21, and that is through CREL. Next up, we have uh, they did, there was a paper on spatial phenotypic mapping um, in lupus from Niyati Javeri. She was from the Weill Institute. It was hard to follow because I think a lot of stuff they were sharing was proprietary, but basically immuno, but they were doing this complex staining of tissues with spatial immunophenotyping. So many color IHC, or maybe it was um, some type of in situ hybridization was not clear, but they were regular stains, not IF stains. So like multicolor staining. Um, they were looking at, they showed first using a kind of a proof of concept and other work in immunotherapy resistant and sensitive skin tissues from cancer that they could detect metabolically active immune cells in the more resistant cells. And they went to lupus, did a neighborhood analysis and similarly showed there that there were more increases of CD4, CD8 and proliferating cells and they had higher metabolic activity in lupus. So that's talk two. Talk three was showing about LNK SH2B3 and how it modulates activation of CD8 T cells. By, and for type 1 diabetes by Tarun Pont. So SH2B3 is an intracellular adapter protein for the JAK-STAT pathway. It's a negative regulator, and it works by when JAK-STAT is induced, it gets induced, and negative regulates by binding the SH2 domain back at the top of the pathway and blocking its activation. And so they show the CRISPR knockout of this have worse DM1 from loss of, so type 1 diabetes from loss of the negative regulator of JAK STAT, and they show that this is indeed driven through STAT5 and it's driven by more mitochondrial biogenesis, which increases proliferation and effector cell function in CD8 cells. Rounding out, because uh, we, we eventually get to other talks on microbiome, but kind of sitting, sitting still with metabolites and such, um, a paper by Angela Thornton from the NIH showed there, or an abstract, um, shows that Helios, which is a zinc finger, is an important regulator of T-cell function and T-reg function in particular. Mm -hmm. If you knock it out, you actually have acquired lipodystrophy and a lack of white fat. With, but in exchange, of, instead of having white fat and adipose tissue in the mice, you instead gain a fatty liver and insulin resistance. And so this is known that adipose tissue regulates immune cell crosstalk are very extensive. What they see is that there's a T cell expansion in the adipose tissue mm -hmm. in the knockout, less IL-33 receptor on the T regs. The IL-10 is interestingly the same, but they get more interferon gamma producing CD8 cells infiltrating in adipose tissue and destroying it through granzyme and FASL dependent mechanisms. Okay. So, so it's killing your fat cells. Yeah, I mean, T-Rex are known like to infiltrate fat tissue. Well, this is screwing up the T-cells leads to CD8 cell infiltration and bye-bye fatty. Yeah. So it's your new, bo no, not your new Botox, your new liposuction or CD8 cells. 
<laughs> yeah, but then he goes to your liver. I'm not sure that's a good that's a good uh, trade off. <laughs> yeah, well, that's in the mouse model where it's permanent, right? You just need to get rid of a little bit for a bit. Yeah, yeah. So then there was a paper on EF EEF2K, known as eukaryotic elongation factor two kinase by Haoyun Peng, that was showing that it regulates CD4 immunity and knockout mice in an arthritis model have more CD4 cells with increased uh, oxfos and reactive oxygen species, and it's a STAT3 mediated effect and that t-cell transfer colitis was worse than the knockouts due to having more cd4 function that model is known to be cd4 dependent but a stat 3 inhibitor blockades it and then before i pass it off back to microbiome land we got um a, a quick paper by vidyanath chaudhry uh, showing that plasma cytoid dendritic cells um are regulated by ER-mediated stress responses. And so they're these, these are naturally interferon-producing cells and antigen-presenting cells. And they sh was showing that their ER, their ability to produce interferon gamma is regulated by ER stress signals. All right. So another talk that I, I liked uh, was um, from a study on dengue vaccination uh, by Patrick Ilunga Mbingabo, in which they were characterizing uh, some particular uh, antibody responses against dengue. And they show that there's these particular antibodies that are binding a quaternary antigen from that occurs when you have two of the envelope uh, proteins that are... Um, there's these monomers, make dimers, and then they, they generate a new epitope that is um, targeted by these antibodies. And so they show they, they, this is part of a, of a larger study of vaccination. Um, and they show that uh, this is in the Philippines. So they're looking into the effects of vaccination, into protecting kids uh, against, against uh, disease. And I, although I think that in general the vaccination didn't seem to help very much, they do look into the effect of having this uh, dimer-specific antibodies that seems to correlate with better immune, immune responses uh, and across reactivity, across different uh, serotypes of the virus and uh, the neutralization in in vitro studies. And also when they look some to some epidemiological analyses, they, it seems to also correlate with protection. Um, which I think is, is cool because it, it, sometimes it's important to look at this. Uh, it must be more a little bit more difficult to find these uh, epitopes because they are dependent on like you know, this dimerization. Um, but it does look that it's a good target for finding protective uh, antibodies. I and mean, we know dengue is quite a difficult um, disease to vaccinate against. It has been evading most of vaccination efforts so far, and it, this vaccine also seems to be uh, similar. So Patrick Mpingabo from the NID uh, at the NIH. And so another talk that, uh, that um, I liked was from Claire Otero from the Permar Lab at Will Cornell. Cornell, and and she was looking into CMV uh, responses, um, and at how uh, CMV responses seem to evade uh, antibody protection, like they seem to evade antibody de uh, dependent mechanisms for of immunity. So she. Um, kind of looked into, they had these rhesus monkeys uh, models and they find that, so there's two uh, proteins from uh, CM, human CMV that are uh, binding 
to IgGs and they prevent FC uh, receptor um, a, a function. And they find, so this is in the human situation, and then they find that they can find in a, in a rhesus-specific virus. So they have rhesus monkeys uh, models. So these viruses, they can also find homologs that also prevent uh, FC receptor binding. And they they show that they can interfere with the with the uh, FC uh, FC gamma receptor activation, and that deleting these receptors from the 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 CM, from the CMV virus can uh, at, um, attenuate viremia in this rhesus animal models, and so this and this really seems to depend on the. CD4 orchestrated B cell response in a way. Um, and this is, I guess, is very important, especially in the case of people with AIDS that uh, are uh, known to be susceptible to CMV infections. Uh, and basically, they see that these receptors are important in the, in the viral uh, evasion of FC-mediated uh, effector immune responses. So they might be you no know, targets to, to, uh, to, for, for therapy uh, against CMV. And... Um, I think also the case of um, Mirella Cuca from the Vita Salute San Raffaele University in Milan. And she also was looking to CMV and particularly in the balance between TH1 and T follicular helper differentiation in the case of CMV infection. Because again, when you're looking into antibody responses, you see that there's some kind of deficit in antibody responses against CMV. And she kind of shows that there is, uh, in the, in this, it was in a LCMV uh, model, so on a, on a murine models, they show that there is a suppression. So uh, if you have a CD4 uh, upon LCMV infection, you have uh, CD4 responses that are, are initiated. And the acquisition of a Th1 profile upon uh, infection by CD4 cells seems to be directly inhibiting the development of T follicular helper cells. And this has a negative effect on the uh, antibody response. And this is mediated by interferon gamma produced mostly by the interferon gamma produced by the CD4 cells in, um, in contrast to other sources of interferon gamma, so that seems to be the CD4 cells, and that this kind of CD4-derived interferon gamma seems to be key for the suppression of, of T follicular helper development. And again, so this has negative effects on antibody responses. Can we use that? Can we target that? I guess that is the future of this particular research. So very interesting, uh, very interesting talks. I really like them. What else? What else do you bring to the table today? I bring bugs. <laughs> all the all them bugs in your gut. All them bugs in the gut. All right. So we got intestinal lamina propria, stromal cells, function as a target of androgen and microbiome metabolites for the prevention of lupus by Jing Ma. So essentially, in lupus models, they noticed that um, women were more susceptible, or female mice were more susceptible than male mice. And, but if you castrated the males, they were the same as the females. Mm -hmm. And so they linked this through some work to low CD103 expression with there's low androgen levels. And then they showed it wasn't a direct effect, but it was lamina propria cells with high levels of androgen receptors. And then through microbiome transfer studies from male mice to female or castrated male, they found it was a uh, metabolite of the microbiome called phytanic acid which led to increased retinolic acid synthesis um, 
driven by higher Bacteroides and lower Clostridium and all Stipes um, genuses, right? Mm -hmm. All the and genuses. That, all the genuses belong to us. And, but it was um, due to these microbial metabolites acting on the lamina propria cells, which then have a downstream effect on CD103 DCs. All right. Okay. Next up on things the microbiome does, estrogen receptors are important in EAE from Stephanie R. Peterson. So isoflavine flavone metabolites, so plant flavone metabolites, um, are a important driver in MS or regulator MS. So MS patients have gut dysbiosis with altered phytoestrogen metabolism. Uh, this group has previously shown that equal, which is produced by bacteria, is protective in EAE. And here they show that estrogen alpha receptor or receptor alpha is upregulated in the colon of isoflavone fed mice and that CD8 T cells are required for isoflavone protection in EAE. Knockouts of CD8 knockouts have worse EAE. That's autoimmune encephalitis. Mm -hmm. So basically a murine model of MS. Um, and there's more of this receptor on the CD8 cells. But here's the cool thing. These CD8 estrogen receptor T cells, so CD8 T cells with estrogen receptors on them, don't behave like normal CD8 T cells. They have lower levels of interferon gamma, IL-10, and other cytokines that you associate with CD8 cells, and they don't know what they're doing yet. And so there's more to be done here. All right. Open so, questions? Ooh, yeah, some open questions. People were very excited about that talk. Mm. And then... Um, Human gut commensal support development of ocular autoimmunity and retina-specific T-cell receptor transgenic mice by Amy Zhang. Uh, this is near and dear to my heart. Uveitis is an autoimmune condition against the eyes. It's something that people with inflammatory bowel disease like myself are predisposed to. Mm. Um, the blood retinal barrier is known only to allow activated T-cells in, and yet these autoreactive T-cells, which have already been established, are attacking the eye. So where are the T-cells getting their homing signals and becoming activated and having antigen recognition? And they show that in a spontaneous model, of um, uveitis that the human microbiome transferred into mouse can cause it health from healthy people and um, less frequently than SPF and there's doing the TCL receptor epitope mapping now but they show that uh, less likely disease has uh, less more firmicutes which are kind of the main thing that you of the healthy bacteria you try to transfer in so dysbiosis is generally associated with less firmicutes including an IBD so there we go. Four bug papers, all back to back. Sorry, I'm calling them papers. That was three papers. But all right. abstracts, presentations, the other conference I came through, they call them papers regardless. So papers they are for me <laughs> right now. Okay. Very, I mean, great first day. Uh, it's going to be tough tomorrow. So many talks. We, we're going to have to be more concise. But at least today we got to talk about all of them. That's true. And so this is the end of our first episode of the Immunology 2023 coverage here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Podcast to find out what we're up to at the meeting. We are taking lots of selfies. And visit us at the Immunology Podcast booth on the exhibitor floor where you can win a gift basket. Check back here again tomorrow for another episode recapping day two of the meeting. See you then. <laughs>